0: short and sweet. But essentially, Paul is just wrapping up this whole section, and he's wrapping up all of his instructions. He knows he's not going to be there for a while, and so he says, here's the final things before I leave you, before anyone is going to be able to be with you. Here's what to remember. Short, sweet, little punchy sayings that he has. You're home alone. You need to grow up, essentially, is what he's getting to. Start acting like men is probably the, 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 the key word here that, that stands out. But even as we read that, we're, we're drawn back to exactly where we started. Well, what does that even mean? What does it mean to, to, to act like a man? If we're not supposed to look at all our cultural examples, where should we look? So what we're going to do today is we're going we're gonna to start, first of all, and just say, well, what is a biblical picture of masculinity where do we find that in the Bible? And then I want to take us back here and we're going to work through what are these commands that Paul has for the church and how does that help us understand the, the role of men in the church today? All right, there, there's our roadmap for what we're going to do. So I want us to first start and ask, well, what, is it, what does it look like to be men in the Bible? Right? And really, if we're going to start with this, we kind of have to start with Adam. Right? He's the first man that God creates. But also, God gives him really clear uh, directions on what he is supposed to do and what his role is supposed to look like. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates both man man and woman, male and female in his image. Clearly, we're not meant to, you know, uh, say there is some sort of separation of value between the two, but God calls Adam to lead his wife, Eve, and to subdue creation for the glory of God. So right from the beginning, God creates Adam and says, your role is to rule over creation, give leadership, and glorify God. Work, lead, glorify God. Give all glory to him. And in fact, this is what Adam is doing in the garden of Eden, in the perfection which God has created, until sin comes in and starts to wreck the whole picture. Instead of Adam leading his wife to, to glorify God, what do we see? Adam just sits back. He lets Eve be tempted. In fact, he even partakes with her. Instead of, of showing proper leadership, he's sitting back, and he's passive on this one. Instead of glorifying God, he's trying to be like God himself, and instead of ruling over creation, actually the creation ends up ruling over him. See, when sin enters into the picture, it distorts everything, and that includes how we understand our our roles as both men and women, right? Sin comes in, and the picture becomes distorted, but it's not gone entirely, and so as we start going through the Bible, we start seeing how is it that, that God intends these roles to actually work out even, even now that sin has entered the picture. So let me use uh, Moses for, as an example, All right? He was an amazing leader. He led the people of Israel. He walked. He talked with God. He was courageous to stand up in front of Pharaoh himself, even, even when people would try and attack him, he stood his ground. I mean, th- there's an amazing leader to look at. And I think on the positive side, he's a great example of, of what it looks like to, to lead well because he chooses to follow God even when it is difficult. If you remember the story where it begins, Moses is, is he's in the wilderness. He's off by himself. He is avoiding all of his problems, and he's been there for a long time. He's a shepherd, and he doesn't want to go anywhere until finally God shows up and says, I have something for you to do. I want you to go and lead my people out of slavery. And if you remember, what does Moses do? He starts finding every excuse he can think of off the top of my head. God, I stutter. God, they're not gonna listen to me. God, I need someone else with me. I can't do this, I can't do this. And God just ignore, or doesn't ignore, but he answers all of his excuses and says, all right, but you're still going. And let me argue, this is part of why I think he's a good example for us as it, as it looks like masculine leadership. Why? He got up off the couch. He was willing to follow God even when it was difficult, even when it was painful for him. He was willing to do difficult things and not simply take the easy way out and followed where God called him to lead. See, that's the positive side of his leadership. He he does that well. And in fact, a lot of his leadership is marked by really amazing things. He was humble, he's not domineering over people. He would care for people and actually go out of his way to make sure that, that justice was being worked. But there's also the negative example of what happens when leadership goes bad. See, God had told him at one point to speak to a rock to bring water out for the people, but Moses is just frustrated hits it with his staff instead. Instead of following God, Moses decides to use his leadership the way he wants to. He hits the rock and God banishes him from entering the promised land. See, sometimes when we talk about men taking leadership, we think where we hear, well, that means men get to just do whatever they want, right? No, that's not the case. That's never been the case Adam was called to lead to glorify God. Moses was supposed to follow exactly what God had said. And the times when they didn't is when everything went wrong, right? That leadership is to be exercised in a way that gives glory to God. Another great example of masculinity is, well, King David, right? King David, right? Again, a man after God's own heart. He's the king of Israel. He was courageous and strong. Right? Probably you know, the, the most famous story when it comes to David is, well, David and Goliath, right? Here's a great example of, of, of not being you know, worried, standing up in front of a giant and being courageous in the strength that God is going to supply. He's an amazing example. He's a warrior. He's a king. He also wrote most of the poetry in the Bible. He also wept openly. He danced like a fool when he was overjoyed. It's a great example of the fact that if we start with sort of cultural models of of masculinity, we're going to split David into two people, aren't we? We're either going to say, yeah, I love the warrior side, yeah, that's masculine, or or we're going to say we love the, the, the sensitive poetic side, that's masculine, but actually the Bible is showing us both. Now, I'm not saying David is perfect, no, far from it. Again, he he abuses his leadership, he gives into lust, he falls, and he creates massive chaos for the people of Israel. Really, actually, the only perfect example we have is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect example of what it looks like to, to be a man. A perfect example of masculinity, and really ultimately, where Paul is calling us to imitate. He is gracious, he's kind, he is caring. At the same time, he's a strong leader. He's courageous, and he resists temptation. Jesus weeps at his his friend's graveside. He's compassionate to those in need, and yet at times will also make a whip and drive people out of the temple. He rebukes false teachers to their face. Jesus shows us what masculinity looks like and how he leads, how he cares, and ultimately how he glorifies God. Jesus leads, but he does not dominate. He is caring and compassionate, yet strong and commanding. He's not focused on himself, but on others, and he gives all glory to God, willing to follow God even to the point of laying down his own life. So you want to know what does it look like to be a man? Well, start with Jesus. That's the model. We are called to follow, and so when Paul says in this passage, act like men, this is what he has in mind, men like Jesus. And so I want us now to take us back here and say, well, okay, let's actually look at this passage. What exactly is Paul getting us to understand? Paul begins here, he has four commands for the church. I've just summarized them. Be ready, be resolute, courageous, and strong. Now, as, as we move into this, I, I want to be honest about what Paul is talking about because in this passage, Paul is talking to the whole church, right? He's not just talking to men in these, uh, in these two verses. No, this is, this is instructions for the church. And so I'm going to argue actually everything in these verses applies to everyone. And then you're going to ask the obvious question, then why are we talking about men in the church if this is for everyone? And here's my answer. Men, you're called to lead in these things. Well, I don't think this is merely just, you know, instructions for men. Actually, I think men are called to lead in these commands. So let me read verse 13 for us again, and then we'll walk through it. Verse 13 says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Now, all of these commands are, are intended to be taken together. They're not four separate ideas. Actually, they're, they're all building into one another. He starts off and he, he gives the reminder, be watchful. You have to remember, this was uh, Paul's writing to a church in Corinth. Corinth is essentially, you know, Las Vegas 2,000 years ago, right? It was a city known for just absolute immorality on, on a large scale. And so Paul is writing to this church in the midst of this crazy city, be watchful, be ready, be on your guard, because you are going to face pressure on your spiritual life. That is going to come, so don't lull yourself into thinking, well, I don't need to be on my toes. Uh, Peter writes in 1 Peter, he says, be sober-minded, be watchful, same word, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds uh, of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter looks at the church, and he's really giving the same instruction that Paul, I think, is giving here. Be ready, because guess what? Satan is going to try and pull you away from your faith. Probably the the most pervasive lie that Satan spreads in our own church, culture, nation is that nothing's at stake. You can all relax. There's no problems. There's nothing going on that you need to be watchful or ready for. You can lay back, and you know what? The little bit of sin isn't a big deal. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about you know, not reading your Bible. You can let it slip. Don't worry. that There's nothing going on that's really going to come after you. Paul says, wake up. Be on your guard. Be ready. Do you not know that there is spiritual warfare going on, and the stakes do matter? Actually, yes, we do need to be vigilant and on our guard. We have so easily been lulled into this peacetime mindset that says, it doesn't matter if I let my faith slide. It doesn't matter if I let sin into my life. I'm sure it's all okay. There is spiritual warfare going on. So pay attention to your life. Be watchful. Pay attention to when sin comes in and actually begin to fight against it. But now I'm getting ahead of myself be ready, be watchful. The next command he gives is to stand firm in the faith. Right, obviously, this is connected with the first command, to be ready, to be watchful, and then to stand firm in your faith. But what it means is we actually need to believe it. You can't be ready, You can't be watchful, You can't be standing firm in something you don't believe or trust or even know. Right, this is a call to actually say, take your faith seriously. Do, do you know the gospel? Do you know why you believe it? Do you trust in that? Paul writes in just the previous chapter in, in 1 Corinthians. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, And by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. See, Paul wants the church to know and understand and hold on to the message of the gospel. He goes on in that chapter to explain exactly what he means is that Jesus died in accordance with the scriptures, and three days later, he rose again. Jesus died in our place. He paid the penalty for our sins and rose to new life so that anyone who would trust in him would be saved. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Do you believe that? Is that where you stand as the foundation for your salvation? Do you know this gospel? Can you explain it? And so again, men, I'm going to say we're called to lead in this area. Do you know the gospel? Do you believe it? If you want to know what what does a mature man in the faith look like, it's one who leads in repentance and trust in Jesus. See, here's where we need to really understand the difference between standing firm and standing firm in the faith. See, standing firm can really just mean, hey, I'm going to stick to my guns right? I'm a man. I don't need to change my mind. I can do whatever I want. As long as I just hold on and and just go through, that's what I need to do. No. Standing firm in the faith says, actually, my commitment is to follow the word of God, to follow the leading of Jesus in my life, no matter what that I am committed to being more and more like him, growing into his, into his image and not wavering at all in that message. Resolute pursuit of him and not departing from faith. Paul says, be ready, be resolute in your faith. And then he says, now act like men. Now two things I feel like I have to address here just off the top when it comes to this command. Right, and they're somewhat com- uh, tied together. First is, is that some of your translations actually say something different. So maybe you've been confused this whole time. Because your translation doesn't say, act like men. It says something along the lines of, be courageous. right? Be courageous. And so the second thing is that, well, isn't this for the whole church? So is Paul trying to say to the women, act like men? Okay, so, so what exactly is Paul getting to here? All right? The command here has two parts. The first is a call to maturity. Right, he is saying to them, act like men, not boys. Actually, be grown-ups in your faith. The call is to a, for a mature faith to prevail. Paul is away from the church, and they are called to rise to maturity in their faith. So the first half of this command is maturity. The second half is to courage. Right? That's what some of your translations are picking up for us. In the same way that you might say to someone, hey, man up. Right? What, what are you saying? All right, Go, do it. I know it's difficult, but you can do it. Right? It's, it's a similar kind of phrase that Paul is using here in Greek. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an exhortation to be courageous in our faith. to follow where God has called us, even though it may be difficult. And men are called to exemplify this kind of courageous faith, even laying down their lives. That takes courage. It takes courage to actually live out the Christian faith, to stand up for what you believe, to share it publicly, to actually put it into practice in your life and to fight against sin. All of that takes spiritual courage. The Christian life is not for the faint of heart. And so is this a call for the entire church? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A mature courage is what the church is called to do, and men, you are called to lead and demonstrate by example what that looks like, to demonstrate this spiritual courage in the fight against sin. And here's where I find this So ironic in one sense is because men today are are not known by that kind of a standard. In fact, most of the pictures that we are given of masculinity are are far more, I'll I'll use the word animalistic, right? This sort of grunting man who's just, you know, pursuing every sort of desire that enters into him. Well, that's what manhood looks like. In contrast to this, the Bible gives a picture of masculinity that is not following along with whatever comes into their mind, but rather one of self-discipline and self-mastery. The biblical picture is not out-of-control desire, but mature men are those who have harnessed and disciplined themselves in order that they may be effective agents on God's behalf. That's a picture of biblical masculinity those who are in control of themselves and leading for the glory of God, courageously taking on a fight against sin, act like men. And finally, he says then, be strong. These two commands are very much intended to be taken together, this, this call to courageous faith and, and strength in the Lord. In fact, they are, they are coupled together all throughout our Bibles All the way back, uh, we can look at Deuteronomy 31. Moses says to the people, Be strong and courageous. Do not be in fear or in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Again, Joshua 1.9, God says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or Psalm 27.14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Paul gives this command again to the church. Be strong and courageous. And if you notice in all of those instances, it's not talking about physical strength. Physical strength is not in the the point at all, nor is it even our own strength. It's not how strong we are. You're talking about like our strength of character or something. No, every time it's brought up, it is courage and strength that God himself gives to us. It is courage and strength because we are in God's presence, filled with his Holy Spirit. That's where our strength actually comes from. So, the fight against sin is not based on how courageous, not how strong we are, but it's God who gives us strength. Those who are strong are those who trust in the Lord. And so, Paul writes to the church and he says, Look, be ready, be watchful, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be resolute in pursuing after Jesus and be courageous and be strong in the strength God provides. And men, I'm going to say, your calling is to lead in these things. But here is perhaps the the final piece of the puzzle that, that we cannot miss. Paul adds in one more condition for the church to follow. That they are to do all of these things all in love. Verse 14, Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. I'm so glad Paul adds in that last little statement. See, it would be very easy for the church to, to be ready and to be you know trying to stand firm in almost a very suspicious kind of way, right? Just kind of looking at everyone who walks in, what are you here for? Why are you here? All right, St- stay away, stay away right? We're, we're, we're standing firm, so you got you to gotta stay away. No, be doing that in love, right? To be too courageous or strong could almost sound like you're trying to pick a fight with everyone. No, it is, this is courage that is built in love. And so again, I, I'm going to say we are called to act like men in love. Now hear me, those two things are not a contradiction of one another, I think a lot of of men are especially sort of nervous of being known or having even a title that would be like, well, I'm a very loving person. We'd say, well, is that really masculine? Yeah, actually it is. The problem is we don't like that because we've both misunderstood what it means to be a man and we've misunderstood what love looks like so often. We've so often defined love as this sort of mushy-gushy feeling that we feel inside that we just can't control. And we're like, I don't know, is that that exactly what I'm supposed to do? The Bible actually defines love differently. Again, we we started with what is the biblical picture of masculinity? Well, it's Jesus. Guess what? He's also the biblical picture of love. 1 John chapter 4 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus showed us what does masculine love looks like. Looks like laying down your lives for the sake of someone else. That's, that's what propitiation is talking about. Jesus is a wrath-bearing sacrifice. He wore the wrath of God against our sins. He did so in our place. And so if we are forgiven by God, so we are to show that kind of self-sacrificial love to one another. Lay down your lives for one another sacrifice ourselves for the sake of another. See, so often men hear that and you're like, yeah, I'll jump in front of a bullet. I'll do it. Just don't ask me to take out the garbage, right? I'll give you my whole life. I'll sacrifice my whole life. I just don't want to ever sacrifice a little bit. A little bit. That's not the picture. We're called to sacrifice our time, sacrifice our money, sacrifice our efforts, our comfort, sometimes even our reputation or our jobs sacrificing uh, for the sake of your family, for the church, is to be done in love. In fact, 1 Corinthians is really the letter Paul spends the most time talking about love. Right? If you're familiar, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is, is the chapter of love. It's the one that gets read at all the weddings, even though it actually doesn't have anything to do with romantic love. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about the love that exists within the church. And it comes right in the middle of this discussion that Paul is having about spiritual gifts. He's talking about how to use them and then pauses, pauses everything and just says, but if you don't have love, even if you use the most amazing spiritual gifts, but outside of love, this is useless, you are going to sound horrible. Let me argue it's the exact same thing with our masculinity. It's to be used in love and outside of that, outside of of using these gifts that God has given us in love, we're going to sound like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is how Paul describes love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Right, that is the attitude that is meant to define the church. And men, this is what you're called to lead in. Act like men in how you show love to one another our readiness in the faith, our resolve to follow Jesus, our courage and strength to fight against sin is all intended to be wrapped in love, love for God and love for one another. All right, now, I know these commands are not, not just for men. They're for the church. Paul is writing to, to everyone, But as we've been talking about how the church is to function, here is the the role that men are called to do, and that is to actually lead in these things. God did not create men to be savage brutes, nor cowering in fear, not stoic or ignorant of God's created emotions, nor a slave to our desires. Rather, men are created to lead courageously in what God has called us to do in the strength God supplies. We are to be men known by self-sacrificial love for one another as we grow into the maturity of Jesus Christ. The church needs men like that. And by God's good grace, he is transforming everyone who trusts in him more and more into who he has created us to be in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. our Heavenly Father, it is such a privilege that we get to approach you as our Father. And and Lord, we we recognize the fact that even as as earthly fathers, we are not perfect. We do not live up to the the standard that you have called us to. But Father, I, I pray, would you continue to work in our lives, continue to transform who we are more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for the men here, that we would be good examples of how you have created us to live, to courageously show love as we fight against sin. Lord, I pray, would you grant us your Holy Spirit that we would use these good gifts well for your glory. Lord, that we would always seek that you are honored and glorified for all that happens. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, for his example to us, for his death on the cross that has redeemed us. Father, I pray, would we be good stewards of the gospel you have proclaimed to us that we might share it to those around us. We ask these things in your name, amen.